Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Good morning. It's good to see everybody. I'm going to have to punch back in here. Hold on. Just talk amongst yourselves. Password is incorrect. Oh, my lads. Hey, there it is. <laughs> I feel like I've got like the family Bible up here, you know. Do you all remember those? How many of you don't know what the family Bible is? Okay, well, when we were growing up, uh, we had the couch and the coffee table, and we had this humongous Bible. And it was a good thing, really. Uh, I'm going to move this over so I don't back. Oh, we moved it. Okay. It went a lot smoother first service. <laughs> Uh, we had this huge Bible, and mom and dad would sit down, and all five of us kids would sit there, and he'd open it up and read a verse or share something, and that was a good thing. But it evolved from a Bible study tool to just a decoration on the coffee table, and for a lot of people, that's what it is. It's, it's still good at heart. You know, we, we, we love God's Word. Here's this huge Bible to prove it. But do we open them up and do we read them is the question. Well, uh, I want to say first of all, thank you to the pastors uh, for the privilege to share and to step uh, in on their behalf. Uh, I trust you'll keep praying for them, uh, Peter and Jeff and, and uh, their families. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's an honor and a privilege that I, I don't take lightly. And uh, I hope that what we have to share today will be helpful, uh, meaningful, and I'll try to focus more on what God's Word says than what Dave Fox says, uh, because that's what we're supposed to do. But uh, at any rate, uh, thank you for being here. Uh, for those of you who might be visiting, uh, I'm uh, Dave Fox. I'm nobody official. Uh, I'm just a former pastor and supporter of our staff and uh, trying to, as, as the song says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody that saved my soul. And that's what we're all about, uh, you and I both. Uh, you notice I didn't say, good morning, church, like Peter does. Uh, Kyle told me I needed to, uh, but... Uh, I got to thinking our subject today is the church. It's the final series in our discussion of the creed uh, and what we believe. Uh, and uh, it's been a great series. I think Jeff and Peter both have done a wonderful job and shared some powerful things. Uh, you know, when it comes to whether Jesus had long hair or not, it doesn't matter. Uh, when it comes to whether or not the wine at uh, Cana was alcoholic or, or grape juice, Kind of matters, but not really. Uh, there are a lot of things that we divide ourselves as a church over that are not significant. But what is significant are the things that we've discussed in this creed, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, that, the, uh, uh, that Jesus came and lived on the earth and died, and he was resurrected on our behalf. And uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about today, he instilled in his believers and brought them together into the church. And the gospel spread throughout the, the world. And uh, a lot of people don't realize it, but the gospel, uh, some believe the gospel went to the uttermost ends of the earth before the first century was over. And there's good evidence and proof that it did. Uh, so this gospel is powerful. And we want to talk about how uh, the church factors into that today. Uh, so we're going to be uh, reading uh, uh, off the screen there. You can see this is what our church treaty says. 
Let's have a word of prayer before we start, okay? And maybe I, I won't uh, shut my computer off and forget things, okay? <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, these good men and women and children who have come uh, and dedicated this day to you, for seekers who have come to say, I want to know more. What is this gospel all about? And today I pray that as we share from your word that you would free our hearts and minds to hear and, Father, to believe and, more importantly, to take out to the world around us. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. What the creed declares about the church, we believe that the local church is composed of baptized followers of Jesus Christ. We are voluntarily united together for the purpose of evangelism, equipping each other for service to Christ, looking to meet the needs of others and to the worship of God. Now that sounds like it's complicated. and There's a lot to there, but uh, I've got three simple points that I think I've taken from Acts chapter 2 that we'll share with that. But first of all, I want to talk about the church today. Uh, the church is somewhat of a dichotomy in this day and age. Uh, it's seen both as an organization and an organism. Now, those of you that have been in my Bible classes, you've heard me talk about this before. Uh, an organization is defined as a grouping of people having a common interest, understanding, or purpose. And certainly, we are here uh, at an organization today for those reasons, the common interest being coffee and donuts, right? Oh, I thought that would do better. It didn't? No? Okay. <laughs> no, the common interest, we want to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to have a common understanding of it. We want to be able to, to know that when we are speaking the name of Jesus Christ, it's not a curse word. Uh, it's not uh, something that is historical in nature. Jesus Christ is a real and living Savior, and we come together to promote that. And our purpose is to, to share that with as many people as we can. But the church is also an organism. And uh, I, I realized at first service, I forgot to define organism. Uh, but it's simply, uh, well, not simply, it is defined as a complex structure of interdependent and subordinate elements whose relations and properties are largely determined by their function as a whole. Whew. No wonder I didn't read it, right? Let me put it this way, a cell, a single human cell. Now, I realize there are many things that go into it, but primarily there are seven proteins and enzymes that have to enter into a single cell for it to exist. And it has to come in a specific order. And if it doesn't, that cell can't survive. By the way, that's one of the best arguments for telling people that God is real. That cell, which we're made up of millions of them, is specifically designed to function and to reproduce itself in a manner that could not happen by chance. As a matter of fact, that statistic uh, came from a mathematician who's not even a believer, but he said the odds of those seven elements coming together in the right order and at the right time, the odds of that happening by accident are infinitesimal, infinite. It can't happen. Where there's design, there's a designer, but that's another subject. Uh, by the way, we're doing that on Wednesday night in the Fellowship Hall. Uh, uh, Ryan Cody's teaching apologetics, talking about the existence of God. But look at those three words, a complex structure. Now, complex doesn't mean confusing. It just means it's got a specific structure. Uh, Paul described it as the human body, the word picture he gave. He said there's eyes, there's ears, uh, and, and, and everything has a different function. Now, I relate that I am a big toe. Everybody wants to be the eyes, you know. Uh, I was told growing up, and my wife's in the nursery, so I can say this, girls used to tell me I had the most beautiful eyelashes. And I thought, okay, whatever. But I'm not an eye. Uh, ears, <laughs> this one's dead. If you ever notice when, I'm, when you're talking, I'm doing this. 
I'm a big toe. Do you, does anybody in here ever lost a toe, the big toe? Anybody? Good. I'm glad no hands are being raised. You can't keep your balance without your big toe. Do you know that? When you take the big toe off of your foot, you take away an integral part of your balance, okay? And people that have had that happen or even had all their toes amputated, they have trouble with balance. The big toe is not attractive, but it's necessary. And this organism of the church, there's some of us that have the glamorous jobs. We have the, the glamorous gifts. We have abilities that stand out, and there's some of us behind the scenes just helping keep the balance. And that's the church. It's an organism. It's a living structure. Interdependent. Interdependent means we depend on one another. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. And subordinate to one another. I ain't going to let nobody tell me what to do. You can't be in the family of God then. Subordinate to each other. Placing the other, and we're going to talk about this too, placing the other above ourselves. Complex, interdependent, and subordinate, and yet the relations and the properties are determined on how we function as a whole. The church of God is made up of many different people with different talents, different abilities, but they have one common denominator, the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes us the church, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into that in just a moment. Let's look. Uh, the early church had no buildings, at least not in the sense that we uh, consider church buildings today. And by the way, we're not saying this building's bad. There are people who sacrificially gave and worked hard to give us this facility to come to, and I thank God for it, don't you? Amen? There are, yeah. Absolutely. There are people who work endlessly during the week to keep it in shape, to keep it functioning, because it has a function. It has a purpose. The first century church didn't have that. But as the influence of Christianity spread by thousands, by the way, eventually buildings came into being, and they were established as places of worship and became what we know today as churches. But here's the point. And these, uh, I haven't got the privilege to go to Europe. I hope I do before I croak. If not, I'm going to ask the Lord to let me go through as a kind of a side detour because I love architecture and these church buildings are unbelievable. And in their day, they were places of worship. They, they were filled with the, the heartfelt songs of thanksgiving and people worshiping God. But church structures, while they facilitate the role of God's people and the church, they don't fulfill it. This building can't win anybody to Christ. But we got crosses on the wall. That tells them that Jesus died for them. No, you tell them that Jesus died for them. But, but we've got a wonderful presence of music and, and uh, pastoral teaching, and, and that should reach them. Church programs and pastors account for a minor percentage. And that's not minimizing the importance, by the way, because I was one, and I still support today. But the overwhelming majority of people that come to Christ come because of a family member or a friend or someone that God miraculously sends their way. The church consists of people, not buildings, followers of Christ with a specific nature, a changed heart, and a specific purpose to share the gospel with others, to inspire the worshiping of God, the edification and growth of the children of God, and shine that light of the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter 2, which is where we're going to get to here in our text, uh, we see the appearance of the New Testament church for the very first time. Uh, it, God promised, uh, with over 3,000 people in attendance, 
he promised the Holy Spirit. And for the first time, believers were one in mind, body, and purpose. And we'll break that down because it's pretty amazing. These few followers, the church, would change the whole world then. And they continue to do so even now. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 2. The context of what we're doing here, Peter uh, and the disciples had come uh, to uh, celebrate Pentecost, which was 50 days after uh, uh, Passover. And uh, they were waiting. They were there, and and, and Jesus said, hey, guys, I'm out of here. And and he ascended to heaven. I'm not trying to be flippant, but uh, he was ascended before them. And they go, what do we do now? He told them, go, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. But the reality of it set in when he ascended and he went out of their sight. They stood there. And the angel, and I love this. Sometimes you've got to look for the little things as you read the Bible. angel came down and said, what are you guys doing standing around? The same Jesus that left is going to appear again. Go do what he told you to do. I'm paraphrasing, okay, but I think it's there. So they'd gone there to, uh, uh, to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this Holy Spirit was the very essence of God. Jesus in the Gospel of John said, uh, I believe it's about chapter 7 and 8, he said, hey guys, I'm going to have to leave you. And they go, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. I love my pastor. What if my pastor came one day and said, Dave, I'm leaving and you can't be here anymore. Or better yet, not better yet, but God, hopefully not. What if those doors were padlocked by the county and said, you can't come here anymore. You can't be here anymore. You can't gather together anymore. Is my faith vanishing into the clouds? No. God said, I'll send the comforter. And Jesus said, when the comforter comes, he's going to convict the world of sin and convince the world of righteousness. He's going to show them what's wrong and show them what's right and offer it to them. And uh, as they were there, and there were people, the Bible says, from all over the world, all over the world, who had come, Jews and Gentiles alike, they had come to uh, Jerusalem for this celebration, this feast. They had come to the party. Now, if you're here today and you're a seeker and you haven't yet get, said yes to Christ, you're right where you need to be, and you're welcome here. There's a diversity of people here we'll talk about in just a moment. And as they were there, the Holy Spirit came down, and an uh, interesting thing happened. The believers, uh, Christ's followers, began to speak in their own languages, but many different languages. And the Bible said that people heard their own language. The miracle in Acts chapter 2 is in, not in the speaking, in the hearing. In the hearing. And they were dumbfounded. What does this mean? What's happening? And they were genuinely concerned. They wanted to look and find answers. But there was a small group that were, eh, skeptics. They were the people that, eh, they didn't really believe this. And they said, ah, oh, those guys are just drunk. They're drunk. And Peter stepped up and said, hey, pay attention. Look up and listen. They're not drunk. And he began to explain to them what took place and what was going on. And as uh, he preached, look at verse 37, as he explained it to the people, and we'll talk a little more about what Peter said. It said, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, turn. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness, right? No, don't don't stop there. One old boy said, if you get baptized and you're still a sinner, you're just going to come out of the water a wet sinner. 
baptism was an outward declaration of an inward change. And, G, and Peter said, repent, turn. That's the A in ABC. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. There we go. <laughs> and the you will receive the Holy Spirit. They were observing an event taking place, the Holy Spirit coming down for the very first time to dwell within man. You all realize that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was there. If the Holy Spirit is God, he's, he's omnipresent and he's omnipotent and he's, he's eternal. But in the Old Testament, he worked on the outside in. Now for the church, he was going to work from the inside out. He came to dwell in the hearts of men. And, and he said, you guys can have the very same thing. Just a sidebar here. When people see something going on in your life that's different than that's ever been there before as a result of Jesus Christ, they're going to want to know what's going on. I spoke with someone here uh, a couple of weeks ago who went to high school with another person they hadn't seen in quite some time. And they were, can I say, hell raisers? They were meaner than I don't know what. They, they, they did things and said things that you wouldn't want anyone to know about. And then Christ came into their life, and they were changed, one of them. The other one saw that individual and said, what? And I can't say what he said, but what happened to you? He said, let me tell you what happened. Jesus Christ changed my life, and he could change yours. I said a couple of weeks ago, this was actually a couple of years ago, but I ran into someone who had a very similar situation. He said, you'll receive that spirit of God. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. About 3,000 were added to their number that day. God changed the course of Christ's message that very day, and he put it in the hands of a body of believers, the church. There were three things that I want to share with you very shortly. We're, we're going to get out here on time, probably no later than 1 o'clock. We've got to beat the Presbyterians to the Denny's, you know, not Denny's, uh, what was it, the buffet, Sizzler. <laughs> three things that stand out in this passage. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who needed. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the courts, uh, temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number to those uh, daily who were to be saved. Uh, there's three things that stand out here. Three things that, uh, uh, that are highlighted in this, this second book of, or second chapter of Acts. Uh, three practices and foundational truths that, that were present in the founding of the New Testament church and are still foundational truths for the church to embrace today. Uh, three things. They looked up. They looked to God, someone higher than the current events and the current political climate and the current truth. They looked around, and they saw that they were not alone. They were encompassed by 
fellow believers. And then finally they looked out and they said, this is something we have to take. They looked up. At verse 42 it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now we read in, in context that there were people from all over the world. Uh, there were of different ethnicities, because it said they came from all over the world. And there were uh, red, as the song says, uh, the little kid's song, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. They were uh, there with various religious traditions. The Jews even themselves were split. There were Messianic Jews, those who accepted and acknowledged uh, God's uh, uh, son, Jesus Christ, his Messiah. And then there were Jews who rejected him and said, we've got to continue with uh, the, the, the Messianic or the Judaistic ways until the real Messiah comes. So there was division there. There were also Gentiles. Gentiles were anything goes. They were non-Jews. Anybody who was not a Jew was a Gentile. Now, unless I haven't met you yet, we're all Gentiles here. Now, we don't say everything goes because we've embraced Christ and his love for us. But the Gentiles, uh, to the far ends of the word, earth, worshipped anything and everything. They worshipped rocks. They worshipped rivers. They worshipped stars. They worshipped suns. They worshipped the Greeks. They worshipped the Romans. Anything goes. Okay? It doesn't matter what you believe, they thought. You know, we think this is current to our day and age. Their thoughts were, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe in something. You ever heard that argument from somebody? Well, it does matter. So, different ethnicities, different religious traditions, different social status. There were people there who were religious hierarchy. People in the Judaistic form of, of, of God's uh, kingdom who uh, were rabbis. And the Apostle Paul, who followed very shortly after this, was uh, uh, one of the highest uh, of the Jewish rabbis that, that could be. And he was very close historically to becoming what was called a rabban. A rabban was a rabbi's rabbi. And there were basically four, three or four that history records about. And Paul was close to being one of them. So social status, you know, uh, there was political chaos. And that was the Roman Empire. The tyranny, the persecution, the punishment, the deaths, all those things were there to divide them. There were those who said, even of the Jews, eh, the Romans aren't so bad, you just got to kind of play their game. And then there were those who were believers who said, my father was killed, slaughtered because he refused to recant in the name of Christ. So there was a lot of things there to divide them. Peter declared that very day, gentlemen, ladies, you have to look beyond your earthly perspectives, your earthly viewpoints in order to embrace God's message. And that was how it is then, and that's how it is today. We have different, we have a pretty good ethnic blend in our church. It, it, it's not, you know, uh, where we would like it to be, but we do, we do. But I'm going to give credit due, uh, Woodlake Presbyterian, where I preach on occasion next week, by the way. White, Hispanic, Puerto Rican, Filipino, Indian, and a couple that I can't even think of right now. As I look out across that congregation, I think I'm at the United Nations. Woodlake. But you know what they have in common? They've all looked up and they've all embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've overcome that ethnic divide. They're one as the church. Religious traditions, we all, some of us come from Catholic backgrounds. We have a, a large number of people who have come from a rigid Catholic background and have found Christ and have lovingly stepped away and embraced this fellowship. Social status. 
I was a former pastor, and I, I continue to, to, to support our pastors. Uh, but for all intent and purposes, I'm a layman. And while I was pastoring, I was what's known as a bivocational pastor. I pastored full-time in Newark, the Bay Area, for $75 a week. Yoo-hoo! Okay, you don't get that. You can't go to McDonald's for under $75 a week up there. So I drove a truck. I'm a truck driver. I actually enjoy it. I drive everything with wheels and a few things without wheels. But we've got truck drivers on this side. We've got doctors and physicians on this side, and we come together. We have a diversity of social status, but our focus is not on who we are and what we do. It's whose we are. We're the brother, the, the church of God. Christians, believers, come together. Political chaos. Man, we could talk about that, and I ain't even, I ain't even I'm not going to get started with that. But if anything has done more damage on the one hand to the church in America. It's the current political and ethnic chaos going on. COVID and everything else, and I'm not going to talk about that, but it separated us. But at the same time, if we're looking up, it's brought us together. It's brought us together because we've seen that we must come together in Christ as a church. I don't ask you, are you Republican, Democrat? You a mask or not a masker? Do you love black people or do you not? I don't ask those questions. One of my best friends out at the base, I asked him one day, uh, uh, Lou, I said, uh, he's a black man and he's a believer. We were sitting there and we'd share verses back and forth. So one day I just asked him, I said, Lou, do you like me because I'm white? And he laughed. He said, no. And I said, I don't know. I think I've just been offended. I don't know. But he said, I love you because you're my brother in Christ. And I said, that's the same with me. I love you because you're my brother in Christ who happens to be black. And we've developed trust. Now, it doesn't mean that there are issues that we have to work through together. But we're one in Christ, one body in ethnicity, one body coming from various traditions, one body from social status and political chaos. We are one in Christ. Peter said to them, listen up, people. They're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. By the way, you all missed the Holy Spirit. It was at the 9 o'clock service. Okay, that was pretty good. I, I don't know why. I've never noticed that before. But Peter said, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Now, evidently, there were a lot of people who got drunk in those days, but not before noon. I don't know. <laughs> but look at verse 14 in that second chapter. Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. He said, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen to carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. But in no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, the man of God. In the last days, God says... And I chopped that off deliberately. Doug Oldman used to say, sing a song, said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it all. And he sang it for years. That was the first part of the verse. Gaithers, some of you youngsters going, Gaithers? Who's the Gaithers? Is that like DC talk? No. Uh, but he came later in his life to say, God said it, and that settles it. Doesn't matter if I believe it or not. God said it, I settle, I, I, that settles it. We have to choose to embrace, to look up. And what was Peter saying? Peter was saying this. This was a simple message. Jesus is the Messiah, as was promised and predicted. 
Verse 22, Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. Man, that's some pretty good accreditation, don't you think? Now, I didn't go to Harvard or Yale uh, or Berkeley. I went to California Christian College, and I have, which is no longer in existence. I have an accredited degree in theology. But I have a good friend, Harry Hernandez. He went to California Christian College and went to Mennonite Seminary and then went to the Berkeley School of Theology, which at that time was still a pretty decent seminary. You know what? Harry and I are good friends. Harry and I sit down together. Harry and I talk about things. We laugh. We cry. We love each other. Why? Because of our degrees? No. But because of Jesus Christ lives in both of our hearts and we're one as the church. Jesus, accredited by God. He's Messiah. Peter said he's the Lord over all creation. Verse 32 and 33. God raised this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of it, and he's exalted at the right hand of God. And thirdly, he's the Savior of all who will believe. Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. When God spoke, it was for real. Let's move on. Well, Paul said it this way later on. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. This is 1 Corinthians 2.2. I didn't come with wisdom, human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I was resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You were almost a click away from being a rabbi's rabbi. You knew the Torah by, the, by heart, by the back of your hand. You were a well-versed, educated, smart man. And he said, when I came to you, there was only one thing I wanted to impress you with. That's Jesus Christ. And he said, there's a reason for that. I resolved not to know anything while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and pervasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Let me tell you, every time our pastors and our teachers and our friends get up to share the word of God, they have no desire for you to change your life because Peter said so or Jeff or Dave or whoever said so. They want you to change your life because God has moved you to do so. You've looked up and you've seen something beyond that. Secondly, and the second and third points uh, go very quickly uh, because if you don't get the first one right, you can't do the second. Before we can come together and go out and, and, and fulfill the mission of Christ, we have to understand and embrace God's power in, in our lives through Jesus Christ. Once that is established, the rest come naturally. Secondly, it says that they looked around. They, uh, verse 44 and 45 says, uh, uh, all the believers were together and had everything in common. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Three things they had. Verse 44, they had community. They were together. Now, you notice that it said that they went to their houses, they went to the temple together. They went everywhere together. I imagine some of them went back to wherever, Podunk. I don't think Podunk's a biblical town, but uh, they went back. Have you all never heard that, Podunk? Well, oh, whatever. <laughs> but they were together, not just physically, but in heart and in mind. And that's why I can sit with Dr. Harry Hernandez and laugh 
and rejoice and cry and hug and pray and know that we're part of a community. That's why I can see those of you who go on mission trips and come back with pictures and stories of people across the world whose lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. That gives me community. We're here today as community. Now let me tell something, sidebar here. Preacher can't do it all. Look at the business formula or the business, whatever you want to call it, dynamic. A supervisor can only supervise if he's good, eight to ten people personally. But he gets those eight to ten to speak. Well, let me give you even a better example. Uh, Amway, and I'm not promoting yes or no for Amway, but I sell Amway to you. Now there's two of us selling Amway. We sell Amway to one person. Now there's four. And from four, there's 16. And from 16, there's 32. And from 32, there's 64. From 64, there's 128. And that's as far as my math will take me. That's what the church did. That's why 12, 11 disciples, 12 if you count Matthias, that's why they went to the entire world in a century because they shared the community of Christ and they went out. They had compassion. It says all believers were together. They were together and they had everything in common. Now, there are those who say this is the founding uh, uh, time of socialism, but it, it, it wasn't just their shirt and their food and their houses that they shared. They shared their hearts. They were together. Uh, Debbie and I had a, a, a friend of ours who lost a child and we went to the uh, viewing service and a uh, terrible thing to lose a child. And any of you that have suffered that, I, my heart goes out to you. But people came by and they, they shook her hand and tried to speak to her and she was just so overwhelmed, she didn't know what to do. Debbie came in and just sat down next to her and grabbed her hand and didn't say a word for like three hours. And she came back later, Mary did, to tell her that that was the most meaningful thing that she could have done. Compassion. As we come together as a church, we need to be aware of one another. One person can't do it all. That means the person that you're sitting across from, go over and give them a handshake. I, I, I want to give us credit. We've had people come to our church and that we've greeted out there and they've come back out and said, listen, we've been looking around. This is the friendliest church we have ever seen. Everybody says hello. Everybody talks to us. Take it a step further. Get involved in their lives. Debbie and I have tried to adopt five young couples with their kids, the kind of pseudo-grandparents. And, well, we, we've got about four or five more that we want to, but there's just not enough hours in the day. Some of you need to do that. Some of us who are older who wonder if we matter, may I say to you, yes, we do. They need us. They need love. They need compassion. They need community. And the third thing, verse 45, they had credibility. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone not just to those who are in the church, to anyone. You ever heard the phrase, put your money where your mouth is? Anybody hear that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I can say, uh, yeah, I, I support the SPCA. Oh, great, Dave. Have you been down there lately? Well, no, I, I haven't gone. Oh, uh, do you know anybody that works there and, and helping them out? Well, uh, no, not really. Have you stopped and tried to get a stray dog off the road and take him down to the SPCA? Well, no, I haven't. Have you given a donation? Well, no, I, my money, I got, it's tight. I got other things. A good friend could come alongside me and say, hey, Dave, put your money where your mouth is. 
You're not a credible supporter of the SPCA. Why? You're not involved. These Christian people put their money where their mouth was. Yeah, my computer just died. That's all right. There we go. They didn't just say, we love you. They showed it, and they showed it by giving to anyone. Well, wait a minute. You're one of those Roman sympathizers. I'm not going to share with you. No, they shared. Where are you, where are you sleeping tonight? Well, I, I, I'm away from home. Well, come stay at our house. Uh, what are you eating tonight? Well, I, I don't really have any groceries. Come and eat a meal with me. Uh, uh, you look a little cold. If you got a, well, now somebody stole my jacket. Well, here, have that. These early Christians proved their credibility in Christ. So important. Paul said it this way. Paul said, for by the grace given me in the book of Romans, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, he's not saying be falsely humble. There's things we can be proud of as long as we're proud to share them with others. But he said, think of yourself according to the faith that God has given each of you. I will boldly stand and say that after 53 years, I found Christ to be faithful. He's been faithful to me. I didn't accomplish anything on my own. It's God in me. Only that. Verse 4, he said, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Do you mean Dustin belongs to me? Yeah. But guess what? I belong to Dustin. Does, will we agree on everything, Dustin? No, no. I don't think, you know, she'd have long hair. Want to know why? Because I can't grow it anymore. <laughs> I used to have long hair. Uh, at one time, it wasn't quite as long as yours, Dustin, but uh, uh, I had long hair. But do you, but you see the point I'm making? Paul says we need to think of one another humbly, empathetically, and give to whoever. Verse 5 says, so in Christ we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. That's proclaiming the word of God. We can't all be preachers, but if God calls you to preach, you better preach. If it's serving, then serve. Wednesday night, we've got a table full of people here. And I'll speak for one couple because they're in my small group. They're uh, coming on Wednesday nights and serving the congregation and all the visitors who come, and they are absolutely overwhelmed and overjoyed, or they're overwhelmed with joy to be able to do it. What do you do at the church? I scoop up lasagna and pour salad dressing in it. But you know what? They see the smiles. They see the compassion, the love in people's hearts. They love it. And that's what Paul's saying. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. We always want people to encourage us. Try giving that encouragement out. I've said this so many times before, but there are times when I have ministered to people and I felt like I got more than they did. God will bless. Love, and here it is. Oh, and if it's to show mercy, by the way, do it cheerfully. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. That's what we do when we look up and we get a glimpse of God and he gives to us that, that blessed gift of Jesus Christ via the Holy Spirit. Then we're to look around to others who have it and share it. 
I'm 53 plus years into it. Some of you are brand new to it. Does that mean that I have nothing to give you or that you have nothing to give me even better? Oh, no. Your enthusiasm, your excitement, your innocent joy feeds my soul. And you all have experienced that, I'm sure. Whether young or whether old. Now, I'm being sensitive here. But to me, age hasn't got a thing to do with it. It's what you do with Christ. Do some young Christians do some stupid things? Yes. How do I help them? By saying, <laughs> how'd that work out for you? Let me share what God did in my life. Do some of us who are older, do we give up and think that we've got nothing left to offer until that young couple comes up and says, listen, I've got to tell you what little Bobby did. He came up and said, where's Mr. Fox and Mrs. Fox? It's more, more, over there asking, more often they're asking for Debbie. Can we go see them? I want to see them. That thrills our heart. Do what God has called you to do. So they looked up, they looked around, and as a result, finally, they looked outward. They looked outward, they lived, they loved, and they died serving the world. There's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's a collection of accountings of the first century church, and even, I think, a little later, of people who gave their lives for Jesus Christ. They were willing to die. In verse 46 and 47 of Acts 2, it says, every day, every day, they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And look what happened. The Lord added to their number daily. Daily. Let me conclude. Our lives are changed forever when we say yes to Jesus Christ. We immediately become part of a worldwide family of believers, the church. And as we grow to love God more, and as we learn to love people both inside and outside of the church walls, we will become a tool in God's hand, a tool to light the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, and I'll conclude. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy. And this is important. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and forever. That's what he wrote to a young man, Timothy. He said, Timothy, I know you love me, I know you respect me, but I'm chief of the sinners. The only one who deserves credit is Christ. When we have looked up and had God do something marvelous in our hearts and lives, when we look around us and come together and share it with one another, and when we go out into the world, into our jobs, as Peter talks about our oikos, our world, Christ is glorified when we present him. There's uh, something I put here. It said uh, that I want to share with you. It's six authentic traits of Christian community, uh, Pastor Mike Ayers. It said that these six things are present in the church today, not just with us, not just with Koinonia, not with just 
uh, uh, glad tidings, not with just the Church of God, and I could name all the churches in Hanford, in Lemoore, not just with California churches, not with just American churches, but the church throughout the world. This is the common denominator. And it doesn't matter if they're speaking English or Swahili. It doesn't matter. Nobody gets up and dances here, but over there, man, they jump up and start dancing and praising the Lord. Well, that's different, yeah. But there's a common denominator. They do it for the glory of God. These are six traits. Full devotion to Christ and his cause. That's evident in authentic Christian churches. Anticipation of God's supernatural work. And the supernatural work is lives being changed miraculously. There's some people that gave up on me, but two little old Sunday school teachers never gave up praying, and I was brought to Christ. A strong commitment to one another. I think we're, we're all on our way to developing that, but don't stop. We belong to each other. Generosity and meeting needs. We, we do well with that. Let's continue. Let's teach that to those that are coming to us. Laughter and fellowship. God's got a sense of humor, folks. And as we come together with joy and laughter, when we come together and we see our shortcomings and we can laugh at them with one another, that's the church. And final, a shared sense of destiny or a sense of shared destiny. Peter said this, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Why? so that you may be overjoyed when his joy is revealed. The church is bigger than us. The Christian community goes far beyond our borders. We're but a part of it. But let's rejoice in it. Let's come together. And then let's go out and find those who need to come and look up and need to come and be surrounded by people that love and care for them and to be willing to go out and share what God's done in their life. Amen? Let's pray. All heads are bowed. <clears throat> we close our services with the ABCs. The ABCs are basically what we've been talking about today. A, to acknowledge I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. B, to believe that Jesus is that Savior and he wants to change my life. And say, commit to it. Let's pray. And if you are here today and you're a seeker and you haven't yet given your life to Christ, we're here today for you. If you're a Christian today and you've kind of got sidetracked with what you're doing, we're here for you today. And we live in a community that wants us to be there for them today. Let's not just go to church. Let's be the church. Father, thank you for these verses and these scriptures. Thank you for the patience of these good people. And Father, today, if there's anyone who is still seeking and would pray this prayer, we pray that they would open their heart today. God, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. I believe that he wants to save me from my sins and come and live in my life. And see, I choose to do that right now. Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, and I look for you to take charge of my life. Not only be my Savior, but be the Lord of my life, I pray. And Lord, help us as a church as we continue on under good leadership, under good fellowship, and under the love and the power of the Holy Spirit. May we take Christ not only to our community, 
but to the world is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.